Hey everyone, this is Izzy, the creator of Izzy's Two Sound Sense blog and the music channel Misanthrope on YouTube. You are currently listening to my podcast, Sounding Out with Misanthrope, the podcast where I speak to friends, from musicians to DJs to zine makers to promoters, about their experiences as queer femme people in the music industry. Right off the bat, I would love for you all to please help boost the podcast by giving it a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. It would be super helpful to help more people hear the podcast, and it will also get me recommended on streaming platforms. In today's episode, I chat with my friend Prince Johnny, an indie pop star on the rise and a self-described glam troubadour spilling secrets. Their newest EP, Stupid Sex, is a cabaret-themed indie pop body of introspection that explores tragedy, depression, pride, and queerness in the wake of the AIDS crisis. We chatted in depth about their journey as an artist navigating the tumultuous landscape of living in New York City, curating queer singer-songwriter fundraising events, our mutual obsession with Fiona Apple, and continuing the fight to create spaces where queer femme music fans and artists feel safe. So without further ado, let's get into it. Mazel. <laughs> okay, there we go. How are you? <laughs> it, it does sound freaky. That would have freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> then you press stop and it's like recording stuff. Like, yeah, it's so loud. Oh my God. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm so good. It's nice to um, virtually see you face to face. Yes, very, very uh, future, future meltdown of culture. Everyone you meet, you meet like this. Yep. First. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how's your day going so far? Very cute. I have been still kind of like unraveling from Troubadour in like the most floaty way like it was it was perfect it was perfect and like I've allowed my like I've allowed my room to stay like fucking messy I've allowed everything to be disorganized and I would just like let myself go to the beach and like just kind of like unwind and today I did like my journaling and I got my bagel and iced coffee and then we've already like the the pedal is now onto the metal as of an hour ago because I had a meeting at one till now um, to talk about planning for the three dollar bill show, nice. and that one's gonna be. So we're really going down like, what are our priorities? Who do we need on the team? Who can we ask? And right before we talked, this girl that I DM that I was like, I think you'd be perfect for the team. She just responded and she sounds excited. So I have more help soon. So I am like, I'm jazzed. All of like, I'm being triggered galore, but like, I knew this would happen. <laughs> and it's just part of the game. And I'm trying to just like, ask for help, accept help, know that people may misunderstand me or misinterpret me and people will be mad at me. But like, I have to try. And I feel like you interact with so many artists too. You know how sensitive people can get <laughs> and shit like you know it's not easy no yeah <laughs> so um well, how are you doing how's your day been so far 
It's been fun. I got knocked off my bike yesterday, which was super fun. Um, I literally got like a proper, I'm all, I'm completely like banged up. I got a proper scrape, like in the tram stamp region. <laughs> it's so bad, but yeah, other than that, I'm doing really good. It's been like a chill season so far. Um, I'm just happy to be relaxing because I've had a very like, I don't know, I'm surprised I even finished school at all. <laughs> you graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats on motherfucking late. Thank you. Like, hard. Yeah. College, is, college can be really <laughs> hard. I, from where? Where did you graduate from? Uh, the new school. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot of cool things about that place. Yeah. It, it looks cooler than it actually is <laughs> coming from an insider, but it would, but I'm, but I'm very lucky that I got the opportunity to like even have my name affiliated there. So I'm, and I'm just very happy to be, to have all the stuff over with because my thesis was so difficult. I, what was thesis? Uh, it, it, um, I basically, um, it was, a personal uh, coming of age identity cultivating piece through um, the lens of rock stars that I idolized growing up. Was it kind of trying to like pick apart like what of your identity has been taken from people that you idolized and like basically yeah like the, the ricochets of that and you're like today. Yeah, I had the biggest crush on Carrie Brownstein when I was growing up and. Um, sort of in denial about it a little bit. And I also like, I remember um, seeing like, I recall there's like this really elaborate, I go into very elaborate detail about seeing the Strokes perform MT at MTV's $2 bill um, in 2001 on YouTube and thinking like, oh my God, look at that drunken mess of a dirt bag. Like, why can't I be that guy? <laughs> like. <laughs> oh my god but yeah um you love the strokes that's why you're here i adore the strokes yes very much um yeah sure it's it's generic white man indie music but <laughs> it's really fucking good generic white man indie music so it's the blueprint yeah but yeah exactly oh my god and also like me and my friend were just talking about this the other day, but she has a friend who, um, like, sort of knows firsthand, like, the fact uh, the fact that Julian's like kind of a creep. Like, it's it's no secret. Like, it's it's like, it's sort of an open secret. Yeah. Yeah. Literally last night, I was talking to my friends. I was like, I feel like so many people that I think of as these idols or heroes. I wouldn't even have to get to the second page of the Google search results. Yeah. To find some fucking freaky, like, like, you know, misogynistic power thing that they did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, it sucks. I can't stand like 
I feel uh, men in music just, mm, and also like there are a lot of women like on their teams and stuff like covering it up. It sucks. I mean, we, we, uh, we are due for our own Me Too movement in the indie community. I mean, we had a we had a, a really good moment with Phoebe Bridgers, obviously, yeah. with Ellen Adams, and the fact that that's like one of her biggest songs, which is like yes, oh. such songwriter power, like to become rich and actually ruin the reputation of your abuser in one fell swoop with your craft. <laughs> God, like oh my God, but he's been like. I'm surprised, like, that it was, like, only, like, there were so many dog whistles about him. Like, all the tantrums he was throwing in public and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. He tried to slander Jeff Tweedy, my my King Jeff Tweedy. Like, when you slander Jeff Tweedy, that's, like, but anyway, how, how was the show the other night? How did it go? Ah, okay, so, um... It was like, it was perfectly imperfect. Um, It's a house show. It was a house show. So like there are things that I can't really control. The worst part of it, honestly, was the fact that it was so hot because it was so cold. (laughs) And I like couldn't help that and people were uncomfortable and I saw people with fans and I was like, ah, this, I'm like, they're my responsibility. But if I zoom out enough, I'm like, people kind of know what they're getting into. If people can't handle the heat, they'll just leave. If they really want their money back, they'll ask for it. So with that being said, um, I mean, the reason why it was so hot is because it was fucking sold out. Yeah. And because there was a wait list and, like, people that I couldn't let in. And, like, I, I, like, I have been trying to tell myself and kind of manifest that it's a different world and like what I do has a new level of appreciation. Like there's a hunger for it, but of course, obviously I still had like my anxieties telling me that like, it's going to fail. It's going to be this. I'm like, I don't even know. But um, the people were there and the people were so sweet and cool. And like, one of my biggest intentions with Troubadour is for it to not be a space that's just overpowered by like cis white guys. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of times like it's gay, it's queer, but then it's still, it has this patriarchal kind of like presence. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of femmes can feel that, that like they are meant to kind of go out of the center. And I've always wanted it even though I acknowledge it's not easy to find, was wanted to be some sort of mixture of like people together that um, feels respectful. Not that I, I don't, there's no one that I don't want at the show, but I'm very sensitive to like who is taking up space at the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and this one had just like, I was talking about in my story before, but like, the kind of like the little uh, anecdote that I think summarizes what I love most about the crowds is like someone showing up in a very uh, nondescript outfit and like a bag and coming to the bathroom and then coming out this like queer fantasy. (laughs) Um, Like feeling that like there's people that um, maybe they've never had a space to do this. Maybe they've never 
been able to feel safe around other people and like here they can like have their moment and just kind of like shine so that was cool feeling like i was like meeting more of my people seeing people become friends with each other and then the acts of course like uh apollo sophia our messy ghost they did a great job and like i loved seeing they were like some of the performers were really nervous but the crowd was so warm and that's what i love seeing because like when you think of like shows like music shows i think people are like think of it as a monolith but the venue has to respect the style of the music and with what i'm trying to do with this kind of like lyric focused kind of storytelling focused drive within music um i try to be very intentional about what spaces actually accommodate that kind of exchange happening um i never want people to be talking over my performers like that like breaks my heart especially with like what they're talking about um and i just loved seeing them kind of like maybe forget lyrics or, or maybe be nervous, but having this like attentive, warm room right there to like, okay, try again. <laughs> like, we love you. Um, and then understanding that, oh wait, like I'm also one of the performers and I'm gonna have the same thing. And right, so there's all this kind of like event planning, hosting brain, but there's also me as a performer and me having, um, you know, my audience back for the first time since quarantine. And like, what have I learned since quarantine? How am I different? Um, am I going to allow myself to be present? Am I gonna dissociate? Am I going to um, not actually like take the mistakes from last time and like apply it rather than just kind of like forget it and black out again. <laughs> and this time I was like so intentional, like right before my set, I was like, we're gonna be here together and you're gonna take a pause there's going to be times where you're not doing anything, but you deserve to take up the space you're taking up. All of these things that like, of course, if someone asked me if I believe them, I would say yes. But I still think in the back of my head are still kind of like trying to fuck with me <laughs> a lot of the time. So, uh, yeah, I had my set. I played some new songs and people seem to really fuck with them. Um and like like someone snorted at one of my lyrics which like made me start like laughing my ass off because like <laughs> i knew she knew exactly what i was saying um and that was that was fun um so yeah i did my set i felt like it went well and people chilled out i met a bunch of new songwriters and kin um yeah so it was awesome Amazing. I'm just curious, what was the lyric that made somebody snort? <laughs> oh, sure. So it was, um, um, the verse is, he told me, he told me, don't play more Fiona. She's always just feeling bad for herself. I told him, no, let Miss Apple teach you something. He shrugged, said, yeah, exactly. Miss, you know, she's 39. Oh, come on. I mean, if Fiona Apple is wrong, I don't want to be right. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And, you know, there, there are people that equate 
being a woman who is 39 without a husband with lacking something that she should have. Fuck that. Oh my God. Right? And that's just, yeah. (laughs) You know exactly the kind of person I was trying to tell you about Mm -hmm. in the song. Um, So, yeah. And I also wanted to ask you about, because you said that you do intend on creating the space where a live space, especially where femme people feel like they can be present and be front and center. And even like, and even at your shows, like that can be difficult. And I was wondering, like, um, if you could tell me a little bit more about that, because that reminds me a lot of what, um, what, because I know, like, whenever a lot of people I know a lot of punks who will be like, oh, Riot Girl did nothing. You, It was like, it was separatism and it was bad. Separatism is bad. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like there, there was a need for like spaces where, and I know the Riot Girl movement has problems. Like that's not lost on anybody, but, but girls were being pushed and shoved to the back at shows all the time. And, and they By were- By who? By who? Men. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think separatism is necessary why do you think separatism is bad like maybe it's necessary <laughs> yeah. yeah but I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about your experience with that uh I think that it has not been too difficult thus far I'm focused on on the future as as things scale and I think that's when when it's going to become more important to have like intention action behind. I think that luckily by virtue of who I am and who I choose to have around me and kind of who has spread the word about it, the performers that I choose because you know, who comes is based off of the performers. It has thankfully always just kind of leaned towards um, like queer femmes to try to be succinct. and all of the different iterations of that. But as I th- as I think forward, I think it's like it's there's it's multi uh, faceted because it is it goes down to like what does the Instagram look like? What are the colors? Whose faces do you see? Um, like in the marketing material, like in the photos from the events, who do you see there? Um, who and not just the photos of the events, like who is actually there. Um, so I, I, I guess the question is, I anticipate, uh, I'm trying to be optimistic with what just kind of like my general vibe and what I've created will continue to produce. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm gonna talk about with Amanda, my co-producer, when we call again later today, is like, what are the signals that it is becoming a space that is not for who we intended? And what are the actions we will take when those signals come about? If they do, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. You always got a plan for like direct action to combat stuff. Also, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about the EP as well. Like, what was the writing and uh, just recording process like for that? And I also love how you used, like, Tom Pops as hi-hats. That was just, like... (laughs) 
<laughs> Alyssa Edwards <laughs> needed to be a baby. Um, um, dressing just in general, the process of making it. Yeah, just anything. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's hard. It's hard to make a body of work. It's hard to uh, uh, digest the perfectionism and like anxiety and uh, all of the things that it brings up in you as you try to, uh, you know, take off your armor and then go into war. And uh, so like, it was, what is, what is cool about the, at least for me, the artistic process, like I couldn't become a good artist before I tried to become a good person, which is to say like internal work <laughs> and like journaling, all this, you know, all this stuff that's like, ah, corny, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, nah, like I wouldn't have got there. There'd be too much self-sabotage. There'd be too much resistance. There would be too much excuses and, and thought patterns that would convince me not to. And the kind of really humbling thing is even with all of the stuff that I've done to like get my head to be a, a safer, better place for me, uh, it still fucking took this long. <laughs> and like, I, I remember like even like two or three years ago being like, and then my EP is going to be done in the fall. And then it just, <laughs> it just doesn't. So, um, so like zooming out a lot overall, it, it's like a, it's a really like humbling and kind of like, oh, like this is, this is hard and it's supposed to be. And as Stephanie Germanata says, people can do hard things. Uh, and it's like, it's now that I see, and also I see the value of doing hard things because as I feel like I had like a, like a fucking like Mario Kart or Mario level up after I, I finished the EP, not even after I, after it was released, after I finished it, because I showed to myself that I can do it, that I can finish it. And all of the pressure that I've been putting on myself of like, no, you can't, it'll never, it was like, I have such proof that like, yes, I did do the hard thing and I will continue to do hard things. And in that funny way, now that I did the hard thing and actually was pretty confident doing the next hard thing, then all the validation comes when you don't even need it. <laughs> and yeah, that's life is just kind of, funny like that and that was that was my experience like when I kind of try to zoom out thinking about the EP I love that and um I was just wondering um if there's one artist you can think of who like really changed the course of your path like when you were whether it be when you were starting to make music or when you were just or when you started journaling as a kid or um someone who just like made a light bulb go off in your head and was like oh I can do that Mm-hmm. that's a great question i it's been uh for me it's been always very gradual we talked about this in our in our print interview um talked uh but the thing is like i 
I see definitely. Okay, so there's this like study that talks about how the music you like when you're like 13 is the music you're always gonna like. It's gonna be like your shit. Like I was what? just saying that to my friend the other day, like that yeah. even like when you grow up and realize like that the people who made it are problematic, like you still can't shake it if you loved it when you're 14. <laughs> But you can do what Rina, Rina Sawayama is doing is like appropriate like this these like weird men's music and take the aspects of it that work for your music and like you know we love that shit. But anyways, for me at thirteen, it was Regina and Amanda and Evanescence, <laughs> and I like I I know this kind of like this gradual process of like, I almost like, I can't even remember a time before their voices kind of in my head and, and like their, like the gradual process of them, like almost like unconsciously showing me how to, um, how, how to be <laughs> like, not just write songs, but also like, like in the interview we talked about like, empathy like how to how to think about other people how to how to go through conflicts like how to uh how to process your own emotions how to like approach difficult things how to how to how to talk about these like how to find beauty in sadness how to um how to be creative like and and the more technical like um like structure things how do you how do you set up a, a verse uh, what makes a good chorus it goes back to Regina Spector, baby. And I know, I like, I know that this general kind of like um, approach is like ingrained in me. Not that everything I make in the future needs to be like that. And also not that I would have a problem with it always being like that to a certain degree, because it is kind of like my fingerprint. And acknowledging that like, I think a lot of people are weird with their influences because they're like, people are gonna think I'm copying, I'm unoriginal, I'm this, I'm that. But I'm like, to me, that's like, that energy doesn't align with me because um, the way that I think about it is that I am not like copying Regina Spector or copying Amanda Palmer. I am reaching into the same pots that they have reached into. They don't own the pots, you know? They may be known for what's inside of those pots, but I can reach into those pots, but also all these other pots over here. The majority of <laughs> the majority of my pot products, which just sounds like I'm talking about weed at this point, but like, you know what I mean? It's it's uh, it doesn't have to it doesn't have to hurt in the way that a lot of you know beginner artists like. They, they can be like, kind of like triggered if you hear another musician in their music. And it's like, it's okay, bro. Like, especially if we're just starting out, especially if we're younger, like we're chill. So to, to, to that, um, yeah, Regina Spector. <laughs> exactly. If nothing is original, then steal everything. I just stole that quote. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, um, but yeah, I was reading like that that old Playboy interview with David Bowie. Like, 
he I I looked back at that and they asked him like oh do you consider yourself original and he was like no I consider myself to be a great thief like um so that that you you saying that reminded me of that and um yeah especially when you think of like all the music that's been produced over time it's like how is it even possible to make anything original at this point I think it's a consequence of ego to even think that you have to yeah or or even like want to like i think that creation became all the more uh, joyful for me when i started approaching it as curation i am choosing elements and i'm curating what goes together i don't have to fucking reinvent the wheel you know people put so much pressure on themselves to have authorship over every aspect of it I have direct perfume genius Regina Spector lyrics in my songs. I think that may be illegal. <laughs> I think if I were bigger, maybe they would have had grounds to sue me. But like to me, I'm like, oh, this line exists in your song. I know why you're using it. I understand the value of recontextualizing it in my song, even with the knowledge of where it comes from. Even better if you know where it comes from. And I think like feeling bad about that is just kind of like canceling out a whole approach to creation that is valid that may not be accessible to those whose ego does not allow them to play in it i'm going to plug my friend aa aa brenner they're a transmasculine uh disabled playwright it's getting their masters at columbia in playwriting and they are doing a play called blanche and stella that they call a sequela they're taking the characters of Blanche and Stella and what you know about them and how you feel about them and putting them into a totally different, like modern day New York and all these different characters, but they're called Blanche and they're called Stella. And so you have certain, you're, you have certain expectations when you go into it about who these people are and what they're going to do. And it's a whole new thing. And the play is excellent. And it's so beautiful because it's like so many people would be so afraid to make something that's so referencing. But like I said, they're like missing out on this whole beautiful, fun, fun approach to music and ultimately incredible marketing and good for newer artists because you are associating yourself with something that people know. It's kind of bold. It's being like, oh yeah, this thing that's great, also me. You should know me. <laughs> and we need that boldness, especially as uh, like fucking like as minorities, as people that have been pushed to the margins, we have to find our fucking boldness. We have to find our like, yeah, I'm here. And what I'm saying is valid. And there's a part of me that maybe doesn't believe that, but I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> you know, it's so I live for that shit. Yeah, I always love it when artists like re- reference like other shit, like in whether it be in a song or in um, a play or in just any or in like even a, even like if they recreate cinema in a music video. I just I I love like all those different like and also it helps those older references reach more people too in a way. Exactly. By the way, what's like um your most played song on spotify at the moment just out of curiosity great question i think it is it's for try on 
love to see it. Um, it's the only uh, song from my from my older stuff that I played at the at Troubadour on Friday. Um, yeah, I love that one. Oh, and also, like, I had meant to ask you about, like, when you first arrived in the city and um, and busking at, like, subway stations and stuff like that. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's boot camp. It's fucking boot camp. And it, it is, like, it is, a, it is a privilege in a way to be in New York that is, like, a city that... Uh, has love for buskers and has kind of infrastructure built in for you to maybe find success in a way that like other cities are more antagonistic against it. So you're set up for it, especially now um, in this summer. I've been trying to, I've been like weighing the pros and cons of if I want to go and do it now because I just like want to have fun and meet new people and like getting myself back in the practice of, of working with an audience and like it's just such a uh it's so scary <laughs> and it's so vulnerable and it's so like I think part of like I'm I'm so passionate about people starting to starting to be artists because I I I see for me how it has made me so fucking happy and how it's changed my life and how I understand that if I had never, um, I, I couldn't be happy without it. And I have also have a belief that everyone is creative. There may be exceptions, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other conversation. But I think for the most part, I think what I can say is a lot of people that don't let themselves be creative are creative. That's what I can say. Going away from an absolute. Um, and I just really want people to, like, I feel so, I feel so blessed that, that I have had like the, me- the messaging and I'm the type of person that eventually was able to get there, even with the things holding me back and w- with the privileges that I had. And so I really want people to do it too, <laughs> because it's fun. And so with busking, I, that's like that is one of the things that I love pointing to so much because there's always going to be a voice in your head that like is invalidating you and you have to do these kind of like breakneck, like dramatic things to like go against it when you're ready. And busking is one of those things. It's so hard to still not call yourself an artist or not call yourself this or not, or like, it's so hard to do that when you are standing on the street, holding your instrument and connecting with people in real time. That's literally the definition to a lot of people. And so like, that's really kind of where it started for me because I was actually able to see Okay, I'm aware of the laundry list of things I fucking hate about myself and what I do. That's ingrained. And it it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there's things about, there's value to what you do that you have no awareness of. And also, guess what? That's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to, to, to understand how you are perceived. It is your responsibility to make something you like and trust 
that the right people will find it. And that letting go is like the ultimate New York experience. Like you see person after person, like have zero, zero care about what you're doing. You're giving everything. <laughs> Your heart is breaking. They don't fucking care. And like that kind of continual people don't care people don't care like people really don't fucking care about you like get that through your head until the person that does <laughs> and focus on them and find their friends and find that community and like invest on that as opposed to this like huge <laughs> giant majority of people that don't even fuck about you and like that is just a really heavy concept and a, a concept that is too heavy for people that are, you know, for people that are sensitive, which you probably are if you're an artist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's such a keystone. Busking is such, it's so, uh, like, I'm picturing like a, like a crystal ball, like, emitting so much light. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. I feel like, like, I don't know. Um, I can relate on some level as a writer, um, especially when you, um, not that it's the same experience as standing on the street and um, and playing music, but being forced to show like your innermost thoughts where you're just bearing it all on the page for everybody to nitpick and critique like every day, especially like I remember doing that with my thesis and I was just cringing the whole time like oh my god oh when is this gonna be over but like a good it's a nice ego check though too it's just like get over it like no one's gonna be thinking about this in two hours no one cares about you (laughs) relax you know it's it's an interesting exercise to go through but like that fear never really goes away no and that's okay Exactly. Right. The yeah. point is not getting the fear to go away. The point is having a stable enough foundation to know that it won't really matter. Exactly. But a lot of people try to kill the fear. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's ultimately. Yeah. If you kill the fear, then what what it would then what else will you have to work for? You know, I don't know. TikTok's rolling. <laughs> Consumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um oh, can I tell you a funny story? Because I got told this story by um my uncle the other day. Yeah. And um, so you know uh the birthday party, the band. Is that a musical? Hmm? Is that a musical? No, the band, Nick Cave and Roland S. Howard's old goth rock band, The Birthday Party. Oh, I don't know it. I know Nick Cave, but I don't know that. So, yeah, The Birthday Party, they were like a really famous post-punk band um, who were very prominent in the goth rock scene back in like the 80s, I think, or maybe before that. I don't know about them very well, but I do love Nick Cave um, and Roland Howard. But... My uncle used to be in a band and he was put on a bill. His band was put on a bill to perform at some club at a small club in Boston in the eighties or something like that. And they weren't aware who the, um, the main act on the bill was going to be, but um, 
this was just before, like when they were doing sound check and everything. My, um, I think it was no after sound check. My uncle walked to the like bar area back to where his seat was. And he noticed that some dude had taken his seat. So he just stared this dude down until he left and then got back in the seat. It turns out the dude he had a staring contest with was Roland Howard from the birthday party. And they were the opening act and they were the, they were the main act on the bill. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. I wonder if Nick was there to see this. I have no idea. I'll have to ask him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, are you a fan of documentaries or or like historical books, historical music books? Yes. What are some of the most recent ones you've watched or read? Um, I saw, I read How Music Works by David Byrne. Um, it was a minute ago, but I remember there's like some images in my head from it that I thought were pretty cool. I think I should reread that. I think maybe now that I remember. But I did see also 20 Feet from Starting. Did you see that one? I have not. Well, um, can you remind me? what? 20 Feet from Stardom uh, chronicles uh, like backup singers from like the 70s, 80s, and like even into today. Um, and it's so, it's, yeah, it was really good. Nice. Um, who were some of the uh, backup singers who were like centered in? Um... I don't remember their names, and that was kind of the point. Well, <laughs> let me see if there's a better way to say that. The whole part of <laughs> the, the, the whole narrative, of, a huge narrative of it was like why they aren't famous or like, mm-hmm. like they want to be famous or like this kind of like just out of reach kind of like thing. Um, but the, the people that they were backup singers for were like all the big names like Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin, you know, all the divas. And they also talked about like people coming in and like how the vibe is is different in a recording studio when it's like live because everyone's like bedroom pop now like there's so much of that now like and like you know the barrier to entry is down like that's beautiful but before there was this whole like recording studio culture that's still going on right but yeah it made me think of that and made me think about like how would this feel good to me it seemed like a lot of pressure. <laughs> like, have you been in a recording studio ever? I have not physically been in a recording studio. Um, but um, when I started getting into like music music, I think it was very interesting to like read all the like interesting things about like, I was just reading about um Bowie recording Lodger in Switzerland and um, Adrian Ballou from King Crimson, who um, did like lead guitar on that record, was saying that the studio was like a World War II bunker. Like there was like one wire like running through the old television monitors. You could see the uh, musicians through the window in the mixing desk, but the musicians could not see through the through the window the other way. Um but I think it's just, and like, I think um, Roxy Music recorded like a record in like an old dance hall that was 
transformed into a studio and they were like, or no, I don't think it was Roxy Music. I think it was Brian Eno's solo stuff. But like a lot of the band were, 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 were just like, oh no, it was great being in an old, super cheap place because the basses so, translate so well. And I think it's just, I'm fascinated with how different studios work. Like it's, it's so interesting, but um, I've not physically been inside one. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of variables to twists that are not often twisted. Uh, you know, like what does it mean to be in a very, a space with very specific acoustics and have all of your instruments kind of go through that filter of being there? What does it mean to record them in a very specific way? What feeling are you giving? That thing that's part of the magic of uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Everything went through this filter of her home studio and the dogs and the uh, Fiona Apple. My personality is definitely like 45% Fiona Apple, but I think I'm okay with it. I think I'm, I've made my choice and I stand by it. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the album? I loved it so much. Loved it. Only that was, that may be the only time I will ever agree with Pitchfork ever. <laughs> Yo, what are your thoughts on Pitchfork? Okay, now we're, I'm interviewing you now because there's so many questions I have for you oh and like, in your world. I think Pitchfork hates women. That's what I think. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Did you see that Halsey tweet where they where she was like, in the basement that they run Pitchfork out of just collapse already? Please. <laughs> I, yeah, this was like a year or two ago. That was so fucking funny because wasn't there a, <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, she she didn't mean to say something that she insinuated, and it was a huge deal because the building that they're in is the New World Trade Center. So people were like, Halsey wants 9-11, part two. <laughs> and everyone was coming for her. I was like, Halsey wants 9-11. Um... <laughs> Isn't the internet so dumb? Oh my god! Oh my god! I was dying when all this was happening. I was like, "Leave Halsey alone." I mean, yeah, not a fan. If they want to hire me, then I love it. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> hire me for. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Izzy. Like, they fucking should hire you. And I like, I've just been like, I'm, I'm so grateful for like your place in the industry and like where, like what I see, I don't know like what your intentions are and where you want to go, but like you, you are bringing like a nuance and a kind of like a, um, yeah, a nuance to music journalism that it needs and it deserves. And I think as you continue to kind of like approach it the way that you do, the audience that wants that is also growing because people are getting kind of like smarter in general, hopefully. Again, I don't want to like <laughs> be too optimistic, but I think especially after COVID, people kind of like got a little more conscious. But yeah, that's all to say, like, I think it's so fucking cool what you do. And like music, music that has nuance deserves to have that nuance spoken of. And I think if we look at kind of like classic 
movie reviews and music reviews. Like, what are they talking about, really? Who's, who's talking about it? Who, who are these people's managers? What is their point of view? You know, like, like where, where can I go to, like, really get, like, in-depth, like, lyrical analysis that, like, someone like Pitchfork does know? Where can I go to get in-depth, like, harmonic, like, harmony analysis, like, musicality analysis? Like, where, where is that happening? And I feel like you are, like, on the forefront of that lyrically. Thank you so much. That means so much to hear. Especially because, like, I was really scared to start my whole blog and stuff like that. Because I knew I was entering a space that didn't necessarily want me or was kind of, was very, like, bro-centric and was like, okay, well, you're technically allowed, like, if you do this. And who wants to be part of a club where you're only technically allowed, you know? So they, they it didn't feel like the industry had open arms waiting. Yeah, exactly. Here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was just like, I had internalized all of that and been like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> um, looks like I might have to look for something else like that was but then I was just like okay why am I letting this hold me back like I um but yeah like you were saying like doing things that scare you like I guess but also like it would be nice if the industry didn't have all these problems that are such big problems but I mean it's it's so hard but like almost like the, the flip side of that coin is like, it's like showing you why it's so important that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and that like the, the, the fact that it was so hard for you to imagine yourself there is like also like the flip side of that. It's like, that's, that's why <laughs> you need to be there. It's like Mitski talked about in this interview. She was like, I couldn't, I never saw anyone doing what I wanted to do. There was no like, Asian woman like doing songs like this and like I couldn't imagine it until I just did it and marketing wise it's a very specific product with an audience that has not been uh like spoken to and so they get so excited when they find you just like I got so excited when I found you like a year ago or something do you know when you put out the perfume genius one that was one of your first ones right yeah, that was one of my first. Yeah, that was uh, a year ago. Yeah. And that's like my main influence. And I was like, oy vey. <laughs> Who is this person that like, that gets it in italics, you know? And then like, yeah, I'm rambling, but I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate what you're doing just as much. Thank you. Um. Oh, right. Um, speaking of books, like, it's just so interesting to uh, just sort of examine this stuff from a critical and analytical perspective. Like, I find it just, I was, um, like, even like just reading Please Kill Me, like, and I was like, I, 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 I came across so many, like, off the cuff racist and sexist comments. And I was like, hey, wait, wait. But, but it just really painted a portrait of, of, of the fact that that's what the climate was like. Like that was normal for that climate uh, in the punk scene. And it's, it's interesting. It sucks, but it's also just interesting to examine like how things were. Yeah. 
it, I mean, yeah, you see it like in there, you see it in like movies or TV you watch from the nineties, even in friends, all this shit. Like the, I saw this TikTok the other day that I loved. Um, I can't quite remember what she was saying, but it was something along the lines of um, we like, we aren't too sensitive now. We've always been hurting, but we're just, we've just gotten to the point where we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the same people that that hurt people are the ones that a lot of the time can't even perceive that they're hurting people. That's a scary place to be in. <laughs> um, do you know James Acaster, the comedian from the UK? No. He did an excellent bit about how a lot of these stand these old stand-up dinosaurs, these comedians will just be like, um, whenever they make transphobic jokes and stuff like that they'll just be like um hang on can i show you the clip it's like one, it's only like one minute can i share oh, my- sure. oh cool wow 2021 it's wild <laughs> yeah if you know how to do it okay i'm not sure if this i think i'm like spilling your slur all over the shop it's embarrassing it's an embarrassing career and chill out right just because i swear now and i'm cool <laughs> that doesn't mean that you've accidentally bought tickets to see an edgy comedian. And I understand your concern. Most edgy comics look like me, race and gender-wise. They say whatever they like. Edgy comedians, no one tells them what they can and can't say. They walk straight on stage, top of their specials sometimes, do ten solid minutes just slagging off transgender people. Just straight out the gate, just making fun of transgender people. If people on the internet get upset about it, the comedian's always like, Bad luck! That's my job. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm meant to challenge people. If you don't like being challenged, don't watch my shows. What's the matter, guys? Uh-huh. To challenge it for you? That's my job. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm meant to challenge people. If you don't like being challenged, don't watch my shows. What's the matter, guys? To challenge it for you? That's my job. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm meant to challenge people. If you don't like being uh-huh. challenged, don't watch my shows. What's the matter, guys? To challenge it for you? Oh, yeah, because you know who's been long overdue a challenge? The trans community. Oh, they've had their guard down for too long, if you ask me. They'll all be checking their privilege on the way home now, thanks to you, you brave little cis boy. Wait, the thing that really made that hit is that it's 1999. No, 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 that that wasn't filmed in 1999. That was filmed in... I think that's just in the title. Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999. Yeah, it was gotcha, gotcha. That would be okay. cool. That would be really that cool. That would have been fucking cool. It's still cool, though. Um, there, do you know ContraPoints? I love Natalie. I love ContraPoints so much. Of she, course. She just did a conversation with Noam Chomsky. Did you see that? No. She just did <laughs> with Noam Chomsky. I fucking love that. I can't wait to watch it. But that reminds me of something that Natalie did in one of uh, her videos where she was talking about this, like, comedians trying to be edgy and blah, 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 blah. And her argument was, as always, so beautifully sound. She was like, babes, you're not funny. And she said, and the argument, she was like, it's not that you may not be a funny comedian. It's you do not have proximity to transness. So you do not understand the nuance and the joke and the real laughter comes from nuance. She proceeded to make like 10 trans jokes that would have been extremely offensive 
but they were funny and she was the one saying them. So it's yeah. her story to tell. And yeah, I, I fucking, I love that. It's like, oh, like, I feel like we're getting back to the same topic. These like icky people who are doing uh, like stupid shit. <laughs> like also after that, like right away, he goes on to name drop one of the comedians. He's like, oh, I used to say who that was, who I was talking about but it would always make people mad. And then he proceeds to say Ricky Gervais. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, there's always that one person in the room who's like, fuck off, Ricky Like, and then he goes on to say like, a lot, a lot of these people who argue that they should be able to make these jokes are like, oh, I thought liberals were supposed to treat everyone the same. And he's like, no, like, you don't go to a bully and say, stop that shit. Oh, and just for good measure, you're a piece of shit as well. <laughs> that was even handed. I'm a good person. <laughs> I treat everyone the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, when I think about this kind of stuff, I like, like, I understand everybody wants to be a good person. And I, I think I just like I don't know what to I don't know what to do about there being so many people that just don't have the emotional intelligence to understand what they're doing. And like that's the problem. So how the fuck do we fix that? Because I think that's one of the central things to fix in order for a, a lot of awareness to come out of that. Um I of course like actually I was gonna stop myself with like at being too corny, but like, I kind of love it as kind of like one of the last things we talk about. When the voices in my head make me feel so fucking bad about like either being a musician or all these things that are like thankfully less these days. Um, I think that music is the thing that gives people the emotional intelligence. So it kind of is fucking important what we're doing, what you're doing, what I'm doing, you know? The logistics of it, is it going to reach the right people? That's like, uh, that gets kind of complicated. But it's like, damn. And I'm happy that we're doing something. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, you may or may not be surprised based off of all that I've been drinking, but I'm about to explode. I need to pee so badly. Um, <laughs> is I'm, am I muted? Sorry. I was, I was going to say, um, I'll let you boogie on out of here. Um, so, because we've been chatting for like almost an hour and a half. Um, I feel like we could go on for 10 hours, but thank you so much for joining me. Izzy, thank you for having me. Um, and good luck with, um, the planning for the upgrading to $3 bill. Thank you so much. Oh, and always, if you know people interested to perform in it or you that would be good for it and if you know people who are interested in joining the team let me know will do all right thanks again see ya see ya thank you so much for listening to sounding out with misanthrope and thank you prince johnny for joining me in this episode you can follow them on instagram at princejohnny.mp3 Don't forget to give us a rating and review. Remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Misanthrope. My blog is izzyshutup.com. My Instagram page is at Izzy's Two Cents. And my Twitter is at misanthropeye. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you all in the next episode.